Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. Barracuda! William Johnson. There you go. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you. This is all for tantrum's sake. We're share passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, with the week before the Oscars, we're two weeks before the Oscars. Let me take that back. We are two weeks before the Oscars. And we're going to put together a double feature today to kind of combine two of the ten Best Picture nominees that are out there uh, garnering votes and trying to politic for some wins. Um, We're going to talk about tonight, Coda and Don't Look Up, recommended by, well, the Academy of whatever their votes are going to be. We feel like one of these movies belongs here. We feel like the other one does not. But our format's going to be this. The recommending lover for both films, we're going to try to squish them together. It's going to go first. They're going to get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praises and state their high-minded case. The hater will follow with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. Who I like that, Scorched Earth, because one of these movies does that. After that, we're going to open up for 15 minutes or more of good shared conversation where the hissy fits really gets chippy. Um, I was going to sign language this whole intro, but then I'm like, shit, we're a podcast. That would totally not work. So I'll just shout into the <laughs> microphone or sound like Mark Rylance and grovel through all my language. Fuck but Mark Rylance. Uh, you know, that's a virtual high five in the show where we will always beyond the fuck Mar- Mark Rylance parade, and I'm very okay with that. Uh, shout out to Brian Haas challenging us. Where, wh- what do you guys have against Mark Rylance? Well, he fucking stole Oscars from Sylvester Stallone. So. Yeah, no, we, we're, we're not going to get into that. Uh, no, but, uh, United, <laughs> hey, United Front, you and me, we're, yeah, we're yeah, on the we're, fuck Mark Rylance train. Right, no, no, I, every every movie I see. And you know what? In Don't Look Up, he kind of plays the same exact goofy oh, technology God. character as he yep. did in Ready Player One, another film that I thought, was a cinematic abomination. Mm-hmm. Um, save, save it for your five. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, <laughs> save, it for the, save it for the people here. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, yeah, we have quite a squished thing here, but I think we could play intentionally sweet versus intentionally sour when it comes to these two movies. So I'm up first because of the movies that are here. I love both of them better than Will does. I am more man on one than the other, but we'll go it from there. So... Let me get some timers going and kind of see what we can do to be succinct in five. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'll come right out and say it because it's five minutes and there's not a lot of time to squish two things together. Coda is my number one movie of the year. I'm a hoity-toit film critic with lists that end up on sites and PR people who are like, Don, do you have your 10 best of the year on, you know, when are you going to publish that? Oh, well, December 31st, because you told me to. So, no, um, I ended 2021 with Coda in my number one spot. Belfast was my number two. Uh, then I kind of dipped down into three and other places where, you know, Tragedy Macbeth, a few things like that. But, man, oh, man, Coda is number one. And I, and I can stand here and go... And with full admission, with a heart wide open to say that that is a feels pick for me. And that is very okay. Um, it is, are there flashier, more creative, more um, composed movies? Absolutely. But of all the movies that do what a movie should do, which is tell a great story, give you wonderful characters, and present yourself with a place to be engrossed and infected by just the the possibilities of human you know, just the human condition and all the things that come with it, whether and no matter the senses that are at play, no movie moved me more that 
of that kind of way this year than this past year than Coda. Um, Belfast is a very fine film for me. And I know I got a Kenneth Branagh fan across me on the podcast here. And uh, I, I'll fully admit that Belfast is made better and looks better and sounds better and all the things. But damn, man, I tell you what, Coda is that movie that comes around every now and then that just is that little engine that could style film that, you know, unassuming remake of a foreign film um, made by very tiny cast of dedicated people and it just hits all the right notes and resonates and still does so in a way that you're discovering new talent you're creating you know new ideas you're just creating new ideas bringing opening doors into places that people wouldn't normally go in their living rooms or their movie theaters and it's wonderful um amelia jones what a talent troy kotzer likely going to win the best supporting actor award for playing a wonderful father and yeah sure this movie is 70 percent sign language but you know what the events and the things that these fa- the family goes through any of us could be going through whether we have all of our faculties and senses or otherwise. And that is the part that matters is that you have a super affecting, wonderful human and family story that just happens to have one more really difficult hurdle. And to do that with some music and some honesty, and for the two of us here on this podcast, some teacher moments, it's a beautiful, really cool thing. And I, man, I just, I just adore this movie. Um, It is me totally on the top of that thing, picking a favorite instead of a best. Across from that, you have Adam McKay's Don't Look Up with the biggest cast of stars you could ever assemble in a movie this past year compared to something like Coda with nobody. And and I get Adam McKay. I'm one of those people who can can kind of sit back in, in an armchair, kind of twiddle my mustache, puff a cigar or two and go, you know what? I get what you're doing, Adam McKay. Adam McKay is a guy who is has become kind of a bit of a chief satirist, and I'm okay with that. And and his style of satire, I could kind of dig, you know, um, to the point where I'll give that man consent. You know, I kind of say in my review, I say, you know what, Adam McKay, punch everything with satire, punch everything you can split our ears, raise our eyebrows, lay every bit of shame and blame in, in front of any intent, intended targets you want to choose. You've earned that. You've done that. You've got attacks that are warranted. You've got the balls to bring your filmmaking fist to do it. You assemble a big group of talented people who are willing to kind of take a chance on a really ballsy, controversial movie. And I'm okay with that. So for me, this movie, yeah, if you want to sit down and examine plot of what a comet would do and what our our society would do when these things happen and just what characters do here characters do there to me all of that is out the window because you know mckay is out here to push as many buttons as possible stuff everything he can into one movie push every envelope he wants to do and he's going to do that because he wants to uh trigger the wrong responses to make someone feel icky offended or as i say in my review worse seen he's trying to get you out there to be like you know what that cuts it too close adam oh no no adam you've gone too far you can't do this you can't do that you can't make fun of this you can't make fun of that i say adam you've got the balls to do it if i mean i know you think you might want to be the next stanley kubrick in terms of satire especially taking it to a movie on this level as don't look up but i tell you what i'm 
I'm okay with what he what he can do. It is not a high quality film enough to be the best picture nominee of the year, but I appreciate it for its balls. I appreciate it for its uh, originality. I don't mind the fact that it's trying to hit triggers, and I'm okay watching people get uncomfortable with this movie. And uh, if that to me that's mission accomplished. It doesn't deserve to be an Oscar night focus, but mission accomplished nonetheless. And that's my five minutes. Wow, very good, very good. Yeah, to just... get oh my gosh, to get two movies in there, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, no, uh, you did a wonderful job. Uh, sure, uh, whatever. I mean, I, I, I guess. I mean, do I am I going in the same order you're going in? Am I going to? Uh, you no, no, no. And... Go, I tell you what, you're the yeah. Go full hate to less hate. It's up to okay, you. Okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna start my five minutes here with saying. Um, you know, you made a joke earlier about scorched earth, and uh, I chuckled because uh, it was about as obvious and lazy of a joke as the entirety Ooh. of "Don't Look Up." No offense. Well said. Uh, hey, I mean, hey, you, you you would be an Oscar caliber writer by making that joke. But um, here's the thing, uh, Adam McKay. I, I I don't uh, I don't put him in that like we have a we have a friend of the podcast Jeffrey, you know, who tends to put people into little groups and he was like, well, what did you expect? He did Anchorman. Now I'm not like that because directors evolve. They change their things. I mean, we recently had the birthday for David Cronenberg. He has two very distinctive types of careers. Uh, when he went from body horror to more of a psychological kind of thing, everybody has a different thing. My, my issue with McKay is that it's been diminishing returns since the brilliant, the big short, um, Vice, I liked. I gave it three and a half. I think it's a good movie, um, but not quite as sharp or as intriguing as uh, The Big Short. And and then they have this movie. Um, Don was probably very shocked when I said that um, uh, my my worst film of the year, and it's all, you know, it's all relative. There's badly made movies. But if we're talking about mainstream massively produced lots of millions of dollars of movies I, I previously my worst of the year was ghostbusters afterlife which you can see as, in an episode um but that looks like uh, the godfather compared to this I, I i thought this was a massive misfire on almost every front I, I think it's you know it's it's decadence really is it's someone saying hey i have the clout now to get anybody you want meryl streep got it mark rylance got it Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, everybody. I mean, you've got Timothy Chalamet, like, in a throwaway role at this point. He's, like, one of the rising stars of, of Hollywood. So it's decadence because it's saying, look what the toys I have to play with. And sometimes we've seen this when Batman fights Superman or Freddy fights Jason. Sometimes when you get too much of what you want, it just doesn't work out. And it doesn't help that these great performers are not helped at all by a terrible script. I mean, everything is way too obvious. I think I described this movie in my review as toothless, obvious, lazy, two-dimensional, and worst of all, not even remotely funny. Because that's something a satire kind of has to be. Um, it has to be funny. And it doesn't have to be something that's you know super subtle or whatever. But the only part that I laughed at was the Chris Evans part. And sure, you're going to be like, oh, the Marvel, Marvel shill. But he actually managed to, there was layers to the satire in that one 30 second scene because he's making fun of superhero movies. He's making fun of cinema purists. He's making fun of celebrity politicians. He's making fun of symbols and logos. They're making fun of, you know, derivative entertainment. Like it just, 
there was so much going on. If that movie matched that 30 seconds, I think it would be a masterpiece. But unfortunately, it's just too obvious. So Don't Look Up is, I'm going to have to say, my worst film of 2021. And this definitely does not deserve any Oscar consideration. That said, uh, let's move on to Coda. Uh, Coda is, um, despite what Bill Maher says, that you know everything has to be depressing. And I think there has been, and, and he's saying that as a negative, all the Oscars have to be depressing, and that's what wins these days. I think this year's Oscar field has two really solid, solid, not amazing, not best picture worthy, but two solid feel-good movies. And that is King Richard and, and Coda. Um, both of those films are typical Hollywood films in terms of production value and not doing anything magical on the, uh, you know, the visual front. Um, in fact, Coda suffers a little bit from the Netflix syndrome, which is it, it's almost too clean and too good looking and too digital for it to like even look like a movie. It's like someone could shoot it on their iPhone, which I'm sure gets Steven Soderbergh really hard. But the the only thing I the, but what I will say is that they, they do follow ABC formulas, um, but the performances are so good in both. And I'm, I'm kind of giving a little King Richard review here, too, but I think these are both feel-good, great movies that are by the numbers. You're going to get what you expect, and that's okay if it's done honestly with passion and motivation and there's something to it. And, and Coda definitely has that in spades. Coda is, is a tearjerker. It's a feel-good movie. The performances are amazing. And yes, as a teacher, there is a teacher character um, played by, I, can't, I don't have the name pulled up. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He was, he was hilarious in Dora the Explorer. But uh, um, he, he is fantastic. It's just, it's just tough to not like this movie, even if you kind of predict what's going to happen along the way. Uh, Coda made me cry, and just like King Richard did. And I think that is definitely worthy of above average status. Um, best picture worthy, maybe. But I'm going over my five minutes, but let's just say hated, don't look up, and pretty much like Coda. Ladies and gentlemen, we will break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum, all things horror from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry. The killer's behind you. Uh, welcome back, listeners. Uh, yeah, I tell you what, um, I, I, I'll, jo- I'll hop right into the to the Adam McKay bandwagon. Where, as much as I kind of pr- say I get him and I and I I can appreciate where he's going, he has gotten to the point of like our guy Mike Crowley from Earth's Mightiest Critics. He would be he, his line. He likes to say every now and then. I don't know if you've heard it on the show. Um, he likes to say a guy who gets high in his own supply. And that is Adam McKay. He he gets to a snark level where he thinks he's funny. He gets to a political barb level where he thinks he's funny. And it's to the point where he probably now has been uh, celebrated enough that he probably thinks his shit doesn't stink. And, you know, and now he's got all these great friends and he's, you know, he can pull anybody he wants for these movies and they'll hop, they'll hop at a heartbeat to come do it. Cause he's probably a cool guy to work with. I get all that, but he, yeah, he's overlooked. And as much as I can, can wink and go, all right, I got you. It, yeah, this is, it shouldn't be anywhere close to the Oscars this, this coming two weeks here. Yeah. Cause <laughs> here's another parallel for you. And yeah, thankfully we haven't seen too much from this person, but when you think about Adam McKay's history, and like I said, I don't, first of all, I like Anchorman. I think Anchorman's really funny. Uh, Me too. I, I have, I don't 
what, what else did you do? Like the other guys and yeah, I like the other guys going? for well, other guys gets bigger for us, but it's just like I would take a two-hour movie of just watching Will Ferrell and and Mark Wahlberg just butt each other with balls at the desk, right? And not ever go out in the case. Just like their office banter is the best, but then the movie has to go be a movie, and you're like, oh great, here we're gonna blow shit up and yeah, chase and them, they so. did. He did Talladega Nights, and then he switched gears. Here's a, here's the yeah. example I'm bringing up is Peter Farrelly. Ooh, Peter Farrelly. Okay. Now, here's the thing. The same thing that – now, I, I don't remember if Adam McKay won any Oscars, did he? Because I know Peter Farrelly did, and everyone was kind of like – for Green Book, and everyone was kind of like, oh, my God, the guy who made Dumb and Dumber and Dumb and Dumber 2 and The Ringer, the or he produced The Ringer, the movie where Johnny Knoxville pretends he's – mentally handicapped so he can be in the special olympics uh, uh-huh. you know uh you know he made an oscar winning picture and as much as we may or may not agree on whether green book is truly a oscar winning picture or not i um, don't think it is but i don't think I it is either there and here we are but yeah. it's kind of like it fairly has gotten that cloud he's won two oscars from green book it won best picture and i believe best screenplay i think whatever mm-hmm. it is like he hasn't really done anything since I feel like with Adam McKay, it's like the same thing happened to him, but he just happens to be more prolific. And like you said, it's he's kind of thinking, oh, well, I won an Oscar. And he did. I just confirmed. He did win an Oscar for... Uh, the adapt- original screenplay Big Short, right? Big Short. So, oh. so yeah. he, he literally went... Oh, I'm an Oscar winner. I can do this shit now. And then he does Vice. Uh-huh. And, and like I yeah. said, Vice, I can see the criticism. Um, me too. Uh, me too. I enjoyed it because it hit me on. I mean, just because that was kind of you and I are roughly the same age. That's right. You know, that we were definitely high school slash college age, or maybe just college mm-hmm. age for you when all yeah. that shit was going down. And it, that's right. It has a nostalgic, like a bad nostalgic value to it. It also Agreed. it also had a good job. This is what Don't Look Up doesn't do. It did a pretty good job of commenting on 20 at that time 2019 or 2018 mm-hmm. but keeping it in the realm of 2000 you know 2001 through 2008 or whatever like it yeah that's what a good satire does just like mash is a great satire because there you go. it it talks about the korean war but it's obviously talking about the vietnam war that was going on when the show started that's so right. so vice managed to do that for me that's why i liked it i think it's the the really great thing about the big short and reason why I like that film so much is because you're essentially watching evil people and and McKay brilliantly makes you want to root for them like like you want the outcome to work for them even though you know right. that if it works for them it's going to fuck over an entire country of people but that's <laughs> right. that's the balance of a satire like that's that's where you're like holy shit, they gave empathy and character yeah. to people I should not give a shit about. This one uh, has way too, going with yeah, this. this one has way too many easy targets. It's like, okay, the president, the president mm-hmm. isn't just like, you know, a vapid individual. It's like this no. mixture of Clinton yes. and Clint, Clint, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Trump. You got the yeah. incest angle. Like, everything, yeah. everything's too obvious. And, and then they, they, they decide to pick on jokes and carry them when I just don't think they land. Like there's an ongoing joke and don't look up about the general who like charges them 10 bucks for the food. Like, <laughs> right. I was like, like that's where we're going to put some time towards. Here. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, that's funny. Like, yeah, of course, like, you know, government 
military is going to waste money on something you know stupid yeah, and, and get the money out of us. But then they just keep going and going with that joke, yeah. and, and it's overpacked, right? And and all the characters are just too—I was going to say too t o o two dimensional. They're just too uh-huh. two dimensional because there's not like like the Kate, yeah. the Kate Blanchett character. Oh yes, she, yeah, she's. I mean, she's great. I mean, Kate Blanchett is one of those. She, she's one of those can't be bad no matter what you put her in. Yeah, right. But she's so cartoonish. That yes. you can't feel anything like you know where the story is going to go as soon as she's involved. You're like, okay, she's getting off on the world ending. She's a right. vapid, terrible, you know, uh, game show not a game show host, but essentially, but basically like a you know a a, um, a host of a TV show that's pretty much like a TMZ ish almost. It's oh yeah, like, yeah. And she has no dimension. There's no depth to it. And like, and they play that joke too much. I mean, the 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 one thing is you only you only really have one straight man, straight man, quote unquote man, mm-hmm. and that's Jennifer Lawrence. Uh huh. Um, that's a tough place to put the straight man role too, because right. we know Jennifer's going to get to some point where she just flips out and turns into, you know, loud pushy Jennifer Lawrence. Though and, Aaron, and, I, and I'm glad like, she has yeah. that voice in the movie where she's the one who stands up and goes, "What the fuck is wrong with you people? Like, we kind of needed one of those." Problem is. She's the only one, and well, no one listens. And, and the problem is, is that that joke, that part of the joke, should stop about ten minutes in and move on with the story. Mm. But they spend forty, mm. the first forty minutes of the film. Oh yeah, where she'll say something like, "We're all going to die," and they'll be like, "Well, how are the midterms going?" You know, like it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. I get it, I get the joke. You need to move yeah. on now. Like, and, and the joke, and the joke, and that's where I could see the with the lens. Like the joke is. You know, the the insufferable nature of the 24-hour news cycle, the Mm -hmm. social media, the heap of social media that stirs up any kind of bullshit they want for false news, good news, this and that. But, and yeah, by the time you pile on Ariana Grande's pop star, by the time you pile on Timothy Chalamet's weird little diversion character, and, (laughs) you know, there is... Too, there is too much stuff there, and then you could even say that the president being a batshit crazy person is enough. You probably don't need Jonah Hill doing the the lackey son thing, even though he tries his best jokes. But then you don't need Rylance, you know. Like <sighs> there's too there's too much stuff in that movie, and I know. But that to me, like I said, I I I can only step back and go, Anne McKay. I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to push every button in the whole wide world. You're throwing everything you can into this movie about, you know, really piling on the, the, the cluelessness that too many people have because they would be duped by news and social media, or they wouldn't believe it, or they'll, they'll, they'll not believe the science of this, not believe the science of that. And I know people were trying to really project this movie to be about climate change or code or, or, or COVID and all that. And I'm like, no, he's just, all this movie was written years before either one of those things were going. Well, climate change is a thing, but I mean, sure. But like, this is him just, no, I'm going to pretend in the world. I'm going to scorch the earth. Who can I make fun of and put, and put blame on along the way. And, Oh, I can do more. Let me put some more in. Oh, I can do more. Let me put some more in. Oh, I have all these actors and great stars. Let me put some more in. And I get, like I said, I get it. I don't think it all the way completely works at all, but it's, I, I, I tip the hat because he's no, no one else would have the balls to do this. It's still too much. It's still, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous material made for grandstanding moments and all that. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a movie you feel dirty watching, you know, it's not uh, like you said, I think the part that's missing and I'll tip my hat to you in this one for sure is 
um, when you have the big short, there is somebody you're trying to root for at the end to not necessarily make it, but just like come up and point it in the right direction. Right, right. And yet here we are in Don't Look Up where everybody dies. Yeah. <laughs> Humanity's last hope gets chewed up by aliens on another planet later where, no, we're all fucked. And I get that we can laugh and hearty har har and say we're all fucked, but at some point, the movie's drama, because there is a, I feel like there's an impossible way of where it's impossible, even in thick satire, not to watch this movie and go, shit, what would I do? Who, what would I believe if I was in this situation? How would I feel? And by the time you get to that dinner table scene where McKay decides to turn the serious screws. Yeah, it, I was just going to yeah, say that. Like, I was just going to say like, that. Yeah, it, 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 it that's the moment we're like, oh fuck, I can't really laugh anymore, and it, this is going to get me, isn't it? You know, or it's going to be like, shit, we really would waste our lives on this whole thing, and where would I be? And like the the woulda, coulda, shoulda start to get in you a little bit, and that's where like, goddamn you, Adam McKay, you, you made me think that at the same time as I was just laughing at satire, where it gets a little too hard, and now like I don't know what the hell the man can do next for a next project because you're right, he went from interesting little societal story with the big short and obviously with big implications vice he's poking fun of you know larger and bigger things of real people now he's destroyed the whole fucking planet i don't know what he does next what's he, is he gonna make a cute little rom-com <laughs> is he make stepbrothers too like there's i don't know where he goes from this especially as a guy who's overloved and high in his supply again yeah i yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if he needs to go back the comedy route or he needs to scale back a little bit. Is there an example? I scale back is easy. Definitely. Well, yeah, but is there like a can you think of I can think of somebody in an acting capacity, but have you do you know anybody like in the off the top of your head, like in a yeah. directing capacity who kind of went, went back to big. basics? Like went back to basics Ooh. after going big. I mean, like I you could um, you could argue Kenneth Branagh. I mean, in a way, yeah. because he did a bunch yeah. of big budget studio films and then went back to Belfast, which is very much like his independent roots. Could we um, say, I just did a piece on 25. Well, I'll shame myself promotion um, <laughs> on, uh, on Quentin Tarantino okay. where Tarantino had two big hits in a row. He did Inglorious right. Bastards and Django Unchained. And those, those both movies got longer and a little bit more brazen mm -hmm. with each one. Mm -hmm. um, they not only got longer in length, but got more brazen and all that. And then like he was top of the world. Like he won an Oscar for, you know, for Django Unchained. Uh, or, I'm sorry, for Inglorious Bastards. And then Django Unchained got another Oscar for Waltz and like top of the world. He's doing great. He's like, how can I score this even bigger or just get harder and longer and more artful and that's the hateful eight Ugh, you know and the hateful i same here and the hateful eight is all you know by the time you do that roadshow cut it's 187 minutes of just like you said no balance all deplorable characters nothing redeeming he over explains and over telegraphs his own little high in his supply like let me do a reverse narrative squirrel here and, and over show you all the little things you don't think you could miss instead of letting us figure it out so and then so when he got that when he was double huge hit swung and really missed with hateful eight his comeback or at least his attempt to scale down is let me go back to a bright sunny california hangout movie with once upon a time in hollywood mm -hmm. so maybe that's the closest thing we have recently to a i don't want to call that scale back because he went right back to the oscars but uh and it's a something. huge production I mean, when did yeah. he do death proof 
The only film of his I haven't seen. Uh, when did you do? Well, that? see, Death Proof. Death Proof was right before Inglorious Bastards. Okay. That was another. That gotcha. was another low for him, where he's like, "How am I going to dig out of this? Let me go big." You know, okay, and Inglorious yeah. Bastards by redoing World War Two was big. Because yeah. oh, here's another good one. Um, Sam Raimi, you know, fresh off mm-hmm. of Spider Man and big, yeah, big stuff. Uh, he did Drag Me to Hell, which I thought was kind sure. of a. I mean, for a horror film, it had a huge budget, like thirty million, but uh-huh. compared to. 200 million for spider-man 3 you know like he, right. he kind of went back to his roots a little bit and and i'm seeing licorice pizza tomorrow do you think that uh pta is doing the same thing as well like with licorice I pizza don't, i don't think he has climbed to the same heights of perilous over stardom the way we're talking about mckay or True. tarantino where what was his last film phantom thread Yes. A, a very insular, small, decadent movie to go make a California Hangout movie because he's got a California Hangout movie coming too. Um, no, I think. However, I he is nominated for as big of a dropper stumble. He is nominated for eleven Oscars, which is pretty insane. Well, I mean, <laughs> we'll talk about this on the Oscar show. He, I think his his only chance. Well, I don't think this is. The, you'll see it tomorrow, but this isn't the movie he should win for even a screenplay award sure. for like this is the place to give Brandon his oscar and not pta Ooh, so I know. yeah i was just we'll here. i was just gonna say and we'll talk about this later but like i was looking yeah. at pta just a side note here i was trying to figure mm-hmm. out who had more so Brandon has eight uh, yeah. bradley cooper who's nominated this year has nine, nine. yes and he does. pta has 11 that's a lot of people who haven't won yeah. that have a lot of nominations well <laughs> and look at look at Cooper. Like that's nine nominations. What before the age of forty five years old? Yeah, I mean he, that's yeah, fucking stud. Yeah, yeah so someday he need, the right thing will come and we'll shower him with a zillion praises. And all right, do, are we of, cool? Speaking of showering with praise, let's go with Coda. Yeah, I was gonna Coda? say close the book and don't give up here. Good yeah. call. Now Coda. Yeah. Um, I'm a smart cinephile. Um, Ooh. I was preparing for the show and I went Coda. The ending to a story. Mm, the ending of childhood. <laughs> I went, oh, so it has two meanings. I was like, oh, I'm so uh-huh. smart. Because I was but like, you it's... know that that's not what the title is, right? No, no, I know. But what I'm saying is okay. it has dual meaning. It's a okay. child of deaf adults. There but also, it is a coming of age uh-huh. story. So it is the end of youth. So mm-hmm. it is a coda to, to uh, the main Ooh. character's childhood. So I was kind of sitting there going like, mm, yeah, I'm really smart. I get that English literature degree i'm using um but uh i mean do, do you get that kind of emphasis yeah. or is it not deep is that is it the movie not that deep for that <laughs> no i think it's completely deep enough now i know it's it's not that we've seen coming of age movies that have like really far bigger themes that i don't want to say are universal but just heavier in drama where they become so-called quintessential like i think of something like stand by me Mm -hmm. where it's you know a story being told you know an you know older person remembering their younger days obviously the implications and things that happen to stand by me is greater than just hey can i get to a music college and get away from the fishing boat you know like (laughs) the, the, the stakes are greater to the point where they it becomes a more i don't know more impactful and more remember coming of age story where maybe the coda of it all is deeper and heavier because of the 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 path and the journey of how dark or how horrible it was but this is just hey it's adversity it's difficult but it's also a bright wonderful goal so that makes it not as but i also didn't need anybody like i'm so happy in this movie no one like because i feel like the cliche in some coming of age films is there's some check boxes there of like you know we need to 
have a sexual relationship. We need to have somebody die, you know, whether it's a parent or a caretaker or a friend or like we need peril to come. And I'm glad that no peril really comes here. Mm -hmm, like it's mm -hmm. the little peril here, like business peril. Like I hope the boat's okay. And then like the Coast Guard's mad that they're deaf and like, but nothing's really like derailing lives. It, it's just like, hey, can we get ourselves to the right place with our lives? Like, life's going to be okay if she stays on the boat and hangs with her family. But at the same time, her life would be better if she got a little bit of her dreams. And that's enough peril to matter and care for a character without having it be, yeah, stand by fucking me. So, yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't deny the movie's strengths you know um i i don't i don't even want to say just like king richard i don't want to even say they're manipulative i think this one sure. chose that line there's a couple of scenes where i was like oh okay so here's the academy award-winning moment from um kotzer is that how you pronounce his name yeah, Kotzer? yeah Troy like, Kotzer, when, right. he, when he feels her throat while she's singing oh, and i was just gosh. like oh that's yep. beautiful Ballamiza. yeah yep. and and for me it's in king richard it's the scene where you know uh Will Smith's talking to his wife. They have a little fight mm -hmm. in the kitchen, and it was just Ooh, very powerful. Good scene. Yeah. yeah. And that's, her, that's her Oscar winning clip, too. Yeah. You know, exactly. If Anjanae Ellis wins, and she won't, but that's okay. Yeah, she won't. But, but, um, so there are moments where they're, you, they're lining up. You're like, okay, it's building to this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, but in a good way. Like, I, I think that, uh, you know, when we listen to music, uh, speaking of music, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we're not always interested in like the 25 minute song with all the interesting breakdowns and, and you know, the yeah. sitar in the background. Sometimes you like a song that has verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, mm -hmm. chorus, yeah. you know, like it's okay yeah. to have that and enjoy that and, and have that build up. I mean, there's a lot of build up in this movie that I really appreciated where, you know, that stuff's going to come to a head. Um, like uh -huh. I said, it's not dire, you know? No. Um, and that's okay. I mean, that's, that is to it's me. Also, it's yeah. And it's also not some, and the other thing I think that's a checkbox in a coming of age movie is you need, like when these things are happening to these characters, it's a situation where a movie can't help, but like make it the center of focus for like the whole community. Like if this was a different coming of age movie, the, the audition would be filled with a crowd of people cheering her and all like something bigger and crazier and like, like the end of wonder, you know, like, mm -hmm. which is, I like wonder, but you know, a, a good book, cute movie and stuff like that. But like, that's a stand up and cheer, you know, very manufactured <laughs> moment. Sure. Whereas yes, she has her school musical moment there. And, but that's not like, that's not even the best climax, right. you know, the, her best climax is screwing up her audition getting well you know getting swelled up enough to sign her song and impress her family and three other people and i guess her teacher that's it no no big crowd <laughs> no newspaper headlines no big parade back home of like look she did it everyone can be happy in the whole world now because she did it like none of that the happiness is contained right where it belongs between student and teacher student and family all of that it's just it's not i've seen too many coming of age films that feel like they have to be bigger and make bigger moments no just make a really really good moment that stays right here where it belongs yeah and that's the strength of this movie i i do want to talk about this because since becoming a teacher uh yes i've been cursed to watch teachers in film now and <laughs> yeah I, it, I know it, that feeling man do it from the administrative position so like Ooh. okay, so here's the thing, Eugenie. I think it's Eugenio Derbez. I, you, you, I think Eugenio Derbez. Yeah, Eugenio Derbez. He's great as the teacher, Mr. V. Oh, 
He's yeah. hilarious. I, I, I identify with him a lot, but I was watching the movie and I was kind of like, is he texting students on his personal cell phone? And I was <laughs> right. kind of like, he's inviting students to his house. Like, uh, like yeah. I was kind of like, the, I know it's like inconsequential, but like, it just, like, we, you and I can never do that. I was, True. yeah, I was yeah. sitting there like, I can never do that. I'll get fired no. immediately. <laughs> like, yeah. But that, that's small town for you right there. Yeah. You know? And so I thought that was funny that like, you know, when you, I, this must be what it's like for like CSI people that watch CSI shows <laughs> or whatever. Like as teachers, yeah. we're just kind of like, did he just say a cuss word in front of the kids? Did uh-huh. he, did he just, um, did he just grab them by the hands and, and touch uh-huh. them and do all kinds of, like, I was just like, I was yeah. freaking out for his status as a teacher the whole time. <laughs> I was like, no, dude, you're going to get fired. Like, <laughs> but, uh, no, but, he's, but yeah, but small town veteran teacher can get away with that. Oh, stuff. sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, no, and it was, it's harmless stuff. It's just, that's what I'm saying. It's when you're, when I, that's I your, feel you though. Yeah. When that's your profession. I was just kind of like, Oh boy. But, um, yeah. he, he's, he's, I don't know why he and um, is it Amelia? What Amelia Jones. Amelia yeah, Jones. I want to. I keep yeah. wanting to say Clark. I don't know why. Amelia Jones. It's because you got dragon boners, man. No, I no. Uh, I okay. <laughs> I thought they. I mean, for for one, Amelia Jones carries the movie. So she sure does. Why she doesn't get any Oscar love? I'm not quite sure. I, I would have gladly put her in this category. No offense to Nicole Kidman. No offense to a couple other nominees. Oh, for sure. She. Between her and Rachel Zegler from West Side Story, you have two debut women who knocked the ball out of the ballpark, and they deserve to be there. It reminds me a lot of Juno, like in the sense yeah. of you had. I know that Elliot Page at the time, mm-hmm. then known as Ellen Page, had some other things like some indie stuff in X Men and stuff. Yeah. But like this feels like Juno in the sense that you've got this really powerful personality who uh-huh. really Im- who really like tackles that teenage experience carries the film on so many different emotional levels mm-hmm. i mean she has so much to do in this movie i mean not only does she yeah. have to be like you know i mean i can just only imagine as an actress especially from out of the country because she's an english actress i believe you i know, did not know that yeah i think she, you know she has to learn how to like fish and sing and uh Fine. you know like yeah, yeah and, and do like you know she like, is english how about that yeah so it's it's she has to do a lot more work. Now, I, I do want to get your take because we were talking about two people that did not get nominated. I, I don't know if it's because of the hype or the fact that the characters or the, the actor is winning so much. But what is your thoughts on Troy Kotzer? I think Troy is wonderful. I think um, I think he is that that second emotional core of the movie because you have a guy. What well, one you have vivacity of life from the guy like I love his just. <laughs> His horn dog nature for his wife, which I, yeah, it's hilarious. And Marley Matten's Stone Cold Stunner, so that, I mean, it helps. But like, mm. you know, like, there's no like. For, I love how this movie, also another coming of age checkbox that it doesn't have have or check is there's no villain in this movie. There's no bully you have to overcome. There's no asshole teacher that the student has to beat. There's no competitor or anything like that. The hill she has to overcome is the emotional one with her dad. So you need him to be, I'm not saying the, the thing you have to wear down and defeat like some boss in a video game, but you, he's the person you have to convince. Mom will follow brother is fine, but dad, you know, especially daddies and daughters, you know, like if you can convince and, and, and if you can convince dad, 
you've won over yourself and the movie. And that's why I feel like his part is essential because, and not to be, like I said, not as an antagonist, but just as a supportive person to get the full buy-in with. So for him to come in and be, um, that that kind of presence and not come off as the asshole because how easy could this have been to be the dad who goes no you're not going to do it no you're not going to do it to just be the no guy and he's not he's the i need to know more about it or we really need you here i I get it but i need you here like he's never a jerk about it and i think that's really helpful because they also um complement each other in terms of their weaknesses because um he is reluctant to like do certain things because of his disability. Right. And so he's very codependent on the daughter to represent them. And she's codependent on them because she feels that, you know, without, I I, I don't know. I can't, I don't think it's exactly like she thinks the family will fall apart, but she's very codependent on, you know, kind of being their anchor, you know, and, and, and cause she is super dedicated to like, you know, one of her acts of rebellion at one point, the teenage rebellion section, is she skips going to the mm-hmm. uh, going fishing one day, which leads to the major uh, issue in the movie, which is that they didn't have anybody, you know, on the boat that could hear. And yeah. that the Coast Guard had to board them and all this stuff. But yeah, obviously a little convenient for the plot's sake, the one day she doesn't come. But um, I know. But no, you know what? I uh, they, they both have kind of codependencies on each other. They really rely on each other sometimes too much. And I think that uh, mm-hmm. they both have to kind of, you know, he stands up for himself by forming the company. She stands up for herself by pursuing her passions and they, they meet in the middle like a family should, you know? Yeah. So, but that's, that's why I respect Troy's part is, is he represents what you're saying and I'm saying and not an antagonist. And like, like I said, a, a coming of age checkbox, you normally need, a disapproving asshole parent and he's not that and it's really nice that it's it's pretty funny yeah, too I, nice I, place I, to be. and he's hilarious and i love the, the humor too because i love the horn dog stuff with his wife oh yeah there's uh oh that was the other thing that tripped me up how old is the best friend supposed to be because best friend the um, best friend because she's getting it on with the brother who's clearly like in his 20s right Oh yeah. Oh, so she's probably an equal seventeen, eighteen year old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like that was the other thing. I was like, Ew. okay, like, uh oh. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. she's eighteen, and we don't have a Michael Bay scenario oh, with that point. Transformers movie where he was like, oh, it's the Romeo and Juliet rule, you know, where you know whatever the hell that was. Remember, yeah. remember that was a that was a big I deal. Do. Yeah. <laughs> so, anywho, uh, any mm. final thoughts on Coda or or don't look up or anything else? No, no. For me, um. I, I'm looking at the Oscars and, and just kind of how the, the landscape has been. And we'll probably talk about this in our next show. But like if there's a, like seeing as how Troy has garnered a lot of love that he's garnered and this movie keeps showing up with like ensemble awards and best cast and little little pieces. They're not best picture wins, but I feel like if there's any movie that's getting the feel good vote that could derail power of the dog, it's this one. Well, it, especially where, after. um some of the comments that were oh, made. Yeah. See, like, um, that's the thing. Like it's just going to, the power of the dog, the flow right now is, is higher than it's ever going to be in right in time for voting. So yeah, like I, I don't see it losing and Netflix will get to break its glass ceiling and be very happy with that. But at the same time, I admit 
I'm that guy. I, won't, I probably won't even watch the Oscars because I don't think I watched them last year either. But we, we'll talk about that in our show too. But this is, I admit, this is a movie I'm rooting for. I would love to see, and I know people will, people, I hope people, if this were to win, I hope people don't shit on it and think it's a Green Book situation because to me, there's not a disingenuous bone in this movie's body sure, compared sure. to the other one. But it's this, but it's the cute movie and the feel good movie winning over the whatever the astute austere choice, which happens sometimes. It just hasn't happened lately. It's definitely rising. I mean, I, I'm looking at uh, gold goldderby.com and yeah, it is currently got to be two in betting odds. Two right. right now. I think Belfast came out too early to sustain True. that momentum. Well, I mean, this thing came out in the summer, so this is even older than Belfast. So. Oh, that's yeah. that's true. This, this was a Sundance movie a year ago. Oh, in an August release. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, as far as Adam McKay, yeah, good luck coming down from this. Great job getting a whole big cast. You made everybody feel seen. Your movie can go away now. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Uh, well, uh, on that note, thank you for sticking around for two movies today. Now, that's next right. next week. We have yeah, very exciting news next week. Yeah, we have not only do we have an Oscar show, and it will be our second annual Oscar show because I believe we are coming up on yeah a year anniversary. I believe it uh, may even be this recording date today, right? The could, could be recording on the fifteenth. It may be. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember, um, but I know it's, it's coming up. But day, obviously, we did. We did a Oscar show when we started, but we're gonna yeah. have not one but two guests on the show mm-hmm. so look forward to that one will be a returning champion and the other will be a brand new addition to our mm-hmm. rogues gallery perhaps yeah and both are very much smarter women than us yes i mean just yeah the way two you, ladies in the house just the way you phrase that would indicate mm-hmm. that they are smarter than us um oh, they're smarter than us. But, <laughs> but uh okay uh follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast when I'm not being suspended all the time. Also, find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast. It is brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, we are also on Rotten Tomatoes and the new Banana Meter. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and many interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts.